mini episode 1275 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1275. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And specifically today, this is an episode of a show within a show here, uh, our FantasyDraftHelp.com Insider, which we like to do from time to time. And uh, specifically, we're going to be taking a look at the 2020 NFL season, looking at fantasy football, previewing what lies ahead. We've all got our drafts behind us now, presumably at this point in time, as week one is on the horizon. And the gentleman that we have with us here today, you can catch him on such outlets as SiriusXM, and WFAN, we've we've dipped into WFAN uh, repeatedly in the past. Uh, of course, a uh, good friend, Steve Callis, a regular on the show on FDH Lounge, dignitary, one of our favorite regular guests, Evan Roberts, uh, his partner, Joe Benigno, the one time he was on the show, he and I memorably screamed at each other. That was a lot of fun. And uh, Rick Wolf has been on previously, but we are proud, and I think I'm probably leaving out a couple of names here, but uh, I'm very proud to welcome in and add to that list uh, the one and only Pete McCarthy, who, as I say, you can catch not just there, but also on Sirius XM, uh, talking fantasy sports. Pete, it's a pleasure to have you in today. How are you, sir? Yeah, it's great to, great to be on. I would have loved to hear Benigno's fantasy football advice. <laughs> well, that was not a fantasy football thing per se. Okay. Uh, what that was specifically was uh, it was a general football discussion, and we also had on uh, the one and only, who I'm sure you're, I don't have to tell you about, Ira from Staten Island, who has become a good friend of our show. So we had both of them on, and uh, supposed to be co-equal time, and Benigno basically hogged the time yelling at me, because, which, that was that was what got me mad, because I wanted Ira to have a little bit more mic time, because I, the grave sin of mentioning, I'm a lifelong resident of America's North Coast, so the Browns are my favorite team, but that the Dolphins are my 1A team. And he started screaming at me for about 10 minutes nonstop about how uh, you can't have two favorite teams. And I said, well, when they play each other, I root for the Browns. And we were just basically screaming at each other. And uh, at that point in time, there was a live video component to the show as well. So I'm told that there were an awful lot of people upon seeing me get so red in the face that found that one of the most entertaining things in the history of the old Sports Talk Network. So it's nice to to provide a little entertainment where you can, Pete, even if it's unintentional. <laughs> but look, if you're a Browns and Dolphins, and you got to hedge your bet somewhere, you do indeed, and uh, <laughs> you do I indeed. Not saying much as a Jets fan, but well, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's a hard knock life, really, uh, for all three of our franchises here. Uh, whether it be my one, my one A team, or or your Jets. And uh, I, I guess uh, just to, to to start with that note before we get the fantasy football, I will say. In looking at uh, the offseason that you guys have had with some of the guys sitting out uh, defensively uh, and some of the various issues that have been had there, uh, 
you know, there are not many things as a Browns fan that can cause you to say, well, at least we're not those guys. But, I mean, I will say at this point in time, you guys are kind of filling that niche for us, and we do appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys had to run for a long time there, uh, for about 15 years. So, yeah, it goes back and forth, I think, between the Jets and the Browns historically. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, a miserable offseason, trading Jamal Adams, just, it became a necessary thing. He basically forced his way out, but you actually develop a, a star player and somebody that not only plays safety but get after the quarterback a little bit, and then you're sending him out. And yeah, they get two first rounders, but you have to wait so long. I, uh, I want to find out what Sam Darnold is and who's he throwing to this year. There's no whole lot of big uh, fantasy guys to be grabbing as part of this Jets offense besides maybe Le'Veon Bell because he'll touch the ball a bunch, but. Uh, yeah, it's the expectations aren't very high going into this thing. I can imagine that, and I will say again, I'm somebody that came around on Baker Mayfield, and even after last year, and I think with Stefanski, he's going to be primed for a better year, but all along, man, I wanted Sam Darnold. I, I thought <laughs> Sam Darnold was going to be the guy in that draft, and I, and I was fit to be tied when the Browns passed him over, so I still think the, the, the Jets have a chance to to shine on that one. And you know what? And this is not actually, uh, not, this is not a bad segue to uh, some of the fantasy talk for the season. And I know that it's unfortunately going to be a little COVID heavy here, at least at the outset, as we look at the big picture stuff. Good friend and uh, another one of our regulars, uh, fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Russ Cohen, proprietor of Sportsology, who is a lifelong Jets fan. I'm going to tell you, he was really PO'd about the Adams deal. Because here was his perspective on it. And I thought to myself, it's an original perspective, but I really kind of agree with it. Because I, I was trying to sell him on it, and Russ is not a big college football guy. So I, I'm kind of you know like, hey, Russ, you got a hell of a haul for the guy, all things considered. And he said, look, the Jets have struggled to draft when they have fresh film on guys. They're not going to have fresh film on a lot of these guys. And, you know, he told me that. And i got to tell you, Pete, I had nothing. You better hope they find spring and uh, you get uh, a look at everybody before it sets up. But even, yeah, as you mentioned, those top players have uh, often opted out of the, the college football season as it's happening in the SEC, the ACC, and such. So, yeah, uh, it, it, it's nothing about draft picks for a Jets fan. I mean, it, I think most people would remember that draft video of, like, all-time Jets draft bus taking Ken O'Brien over Dan Marino and Jeff Lockman and, Everybody's chance for warrants to have the Jets take Tom Brady, like all oh, this miserable draft history. And they had a good run from, I don't know, uh, when Bill Parcells took over to about 2008 or nine, somewhere in there. And then it's, uh, it's really just been all down. I mean, they have drafted as poorly as any team in the league over the last six, seven years. Oh, yeah. I and mean, nobody. Well, and, and again, if there's anybody on God's green earth that can sympathize with you, it'd be a Browns fan. I mean, I, I still I still have PTSD about the regimes of Eric Mangini and Ray Farmer and a couple of these guys and uh, just the idiocy uh, that we've lived through here. So there is a real kinship between uh, Browns and Jets fans in that regard, I, I'm afraid. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, what you guys are looking at with the draft uh, next year and in all likelihood having uh, high picks again, uh, but a little bit of a, a head-scratcher on what to do with them in, in terms of if a lot of these guys don't play. That's more of a distant concern for fantasy football and for folks that are in any uh, dynasty leagues or whatever. But uh, for, for folks playing just this season, obviously there is a whole ton of issues as well in terms of everything that is going to be dealt with, uh, the, the questions in terms of availability from week to week, 
You already see some oddities out there, uh, and again, probably a smart move. The Eagles signing Josh McCown, but telling him, "Hey, stay in Texas. We'll we'll wire you your twelve grand a week or whatever." And uh, you know that way, if we have an outbreak on a team, you can come in fresh. Uh, almost sort of a little bit of what we're seeing here with MLB, with guys being off-site, but that's entire minor league groupings that are uh, off-site uh, to, to come in at the major league level. So there are going to be questions this year, uh, the likes of which we've really never seen before as far as a, a fantasy football season goes. And this is one of these deals, too, where I really think uh, it behooves people a lot of years, I always preach uh, patience that if there's guys that bust out on the waiver wire week one, week two, okay, you know, you, you can start a, a few guys here and there, but be that supportive of blowing all your waiver wire picks early on if they are limited as they are in a lot of leagues. It would seem like this year more than any other year. Hopefully your league builds in some extra room for it, like my two leagues have done. But uh, this is a year, I would think, when you'd really want to have your powder dry in case you got to replace guys for COVID later on. Yeah, I know. Uh, my league, we added a bunch of uh, slots for a potential coronavirus list, which, I mean, look, it's, uh, it's just the reality of what this season might be. And uh, they've done pretty well with the testing, at least with these training camps have played, and there's not as much traveling as there is in a sport like, say, baseball. Uh, now, baseball has done better of late handling uh, their coronavirus positive tests and trying to make sure it doesn't spread through the teams like it did early on with the Marlins and the Cardinals. So let's hope that there's some lessons that have been learned and you know, these NFL teams don't have uh, major outbreaks. You don't have to worry as much about guys going out, things of that nature, because you know, they're, they're at home. Uh, when they go out on the road, there's not, they're there for one night. You know, it's a game night. It's not you know, like Clevenger, the Indians, and uh, Plesak going out in Chicago. That I don't think he'll have a whole lot of those situations as far as the NFL goes. But, yeah, it's anyone's guess uh, how this will all shake out. You have games postponed, it moved around, and then how you shifted your lineup. If that uh, becomes an issue and trying to fill spots, I think you know, these are all going to be possibilities. But I'm just I'm fascinated. After not having a preseason that you can see, and with reporters being so limited in what they can share or even see while they're covering the things, we're kind of guessing to some degree at these depth charts and what exactly they look like. We're going to have guys that go out and get 20 carries at running back and you be scratching your head like, oh, I didn't expect him to be the main guy because you know all this stuff is shaking out without anybody seeing it. And it's just going to be the results flying out at you starting on uh, Thursday night with the Chiefs and Texans. Absolutely, and one of the phrases that comes to my mind, because this is the show where nothing is off topic, when you look at a season like this, I'm hearing that old Rumsfeld line in my head about no knowns and unknown unknowns. Uh, I, I think we can, a lot of people would agree anyways, myself included, it didn't really apply to the Iraq War because, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda known that uh, that wasn't going to be a layup. But here, absolutely, uh, this is not a situation where any of us have seen anything like this before because, uh, again, you know, you know, we were, what, two years away from the start of the NFL with the Spanish-American flu, uh, or the Spanish flu outbreak of uh, 1918. I'm juxtaposing my wars and my flu epidemics here, the Spanish flu of 1918. NFL formed in 2020, haven't had any major epidemics on this level since. So, again, we are just kind of squinting into the horizon here, all of us, 
and really at the NFL level as well. I, I think it's important uh, for everybody to remember that as well. I mean, if Roger Goodell uh, tries to tell you he knows what's going to happen, then it just shows once again that he's full of crap. Basically, nobody knows. We know from the projections that we're going to have another spike in the virus this fall. It's going to coincide with flu season. So generally speaking, it is wise to expect that there are going to be more challenges to come, but what they're going to look like, uh, you know, we, we can make educated guesses uh, here, but I think that's all we can really do. No, I think that's a fair point, because I was comparing it to, you know, based on some of the other sports that are involved at this point, and they haven't had many outbreaks of bloody, but if, as the medical experts project, we do see a spike in the fall, Football will be in a, a much different situation than some of these other sports that go into November, December, and beyond. Do it without a bubble, or at least that's what they're trying to do initially. Uh, I think if there's anything to learn from baseball, it's that if you have one positive test, and you're going to shut the team down for a period of time. And if that means they miss a game, or you have to make it up on the back end, whatever it might be, I mean, uh, I don't think I would write that Super Bowl date and, you know, a magic marker, a permanent marker and say, oh, yeah, this is definitely the day the Super Bowl is going to be played. If you got to move things around, uh, that's going to have to be something that the league and, and everybody is flexible with. But I do think it would be tougher. You know, baseball is almost thrown out the window to some degree, and I guess we'll see how it plays out. But, okay, if you don't play 60 games, it'll be okay. Well, I, I can't imagine an NFL team, if they are shut down for, say, two or three weeks, baseball team, how do you play 13 games and then make it as a wild card? I, I don't... I don't think it would work as well for the NFL. you got to get 16 games per team, I think, yeah. Yeah, and uh, unlike in baseball where they can do all these uh, doubleheaders, even with the Fugazi <laughs> seven-inning doubleheaders, in football you got to space it at a week in between. Yeah, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. imagine if we're all waiting three weeks just for uh, a couple teams to finish up their games, what that would do to things. And, uh, again, I had said all along, uh, and this is going back to some of the earlier days of summer when we were looking at sports coming back, that any sport that's not looking at doing a bubble, I think, is kidding itself. So all along, I've seen landmines in this approach, in MLB's approach. I will agree that, again, after some early problems in MLB, uh, that they have basically made it work. They haven't had to lose uh, as many games to this as, as we would have thought. I wonder if there is a lesson to be learned by any of these leagues here, because in the case of St. Louis in particular, one thing I was critical about was that, again, this is a thing where it wouldn't necessarily be fair to the Cardinals, but my thing is, with the 60-man rosters, wasn't the whole idea of this thing you can bring up guys wholesale? I mean, in the NFL, I don't know what you would do necessarily here, but, uh, yeah, as you pointed out, because of the nature of this schedule, we can't afford to just twiddle our thumbs the way that MLB did with the Cardinals there. Oh, that's okay. Just come back whenever you want to. You know, if they got a bunch of guys out, you may have to see a bunch of guys coming in, maybe like during the strike from their UPS job or whatever the case may be. But, you know, uh, these taxi squads, whatever it's going to be, uh, I would think that the NFL is probably going to be more proactive in terms of making sure, okay, it's at least going to be a bunch of guys wearing that team's uniform this week. Yeah, I mean, how do you do that, though? You know, you got to have players separate somewhere. I mean, at yes. that point, you might as well have, like, two replacement teams just training somewhere totally different, waiting to, to yeah. bring into action. As, you know, the Jets one week and the Washington football team the next or whatever it might be. I mean, yeah, it's, who uh, knows? It's really it's, uh, it's such an impossible situation for, uh, you know, all these 
leagues and teams to, to try to figure it out. And, and like baseball, I mean, changing some of the rules. We've got seven innings, double headers. I mean, nothing's really sacred this year, right? Now they're talking about the NCAA tournament. Well, we'll just let everybody in. And, yeah. You know, have this massive thing. I, I think it's kind of a year for experimentation. It's also a year that wherever the rules are day one could very well change. <laughs> yeah. Then if, if they need to. And, you know, it's about being flexible. And I know... I've been extremely thankful that the sports bag, not only professionally, but personally, like, sure. I, I finally get to 7 o'clock and then you get to relax. There's always something on. There's something that I'm accustomed to uh, to watching to kind of take my mind off of things and, and not watching 24-7 news or whatever it is. So, I mean, sports have been such a blessing. I just, uh, you know, you, you want to see it all work and you want to see it be there and think about, you know, having NFL Sundays back and won't quite be the same. You're not going to the sports bar and taking in all the games, I suppose, depending on where you live, but at least at least you do have that. And you have a, a Sunday you can kick up on the recliner and play your fantasy sports and uh, watch uh, watch 10 hours of football, you know? That's true. And, uh, you know, I, I think also, too, when it comes to things that are going to be different this year, if you look at the strategy end of things and some things that maybe mm-hmm. we can anticipate uh, being the case, I will go back to... And uh, at the risk of breaking my arm, patting myself on the back, uh, when we did our NBA preview uh, here in uh, mid-July, I did say at the time that I thought it was a chance for teams like the Nuggets. I mentioned both uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Ball Ball. That like, you know what? Just just throw stuff at the wall, right? You can weaponize the lack of film on you. And this is a thing here, and one of our uh, regular uh, contributors, uh, Chris Galloway, compared it to college football, where they don't have a preseason week one. You know, there's not really any film on anybody. I mean, there is a chance here where, uh, and and in doing our NFL preview, actually my own Cleveland Browns were a very good case study for analyzing, because on the one hand, uh, there is a lot of angst in this town about are they picking up the new offense, how's it going, the reporters that are at camp are painting kind of a grim picture of that. By the same token, based on the amount of uh, progress that they can make by week one, they really have a chance to befuddle Baltimore and then possibly even Cincinnati after that because, you know, there's still only going to be a limited amount of film until you get a week or two or three into the season. If they can get to where they're mastering their own offense and the other team doesn't have film on them, that is going to give them a tremendous advantage. You look at the, the experimentation that's happened in the NBA bubble, and I, I wonder, I, I'll bet you that that has really, the, the, the success of it in a lot of ways, I think the NFL coaches have probably taken note of that and thought, you know, strategically, maybe we can make some of the lack of familiarity work for us in terms of other teams not having any film on us. Yeah, let Odell Beckham Jr. throw some passes. You know, that's and, right. Because <laughs> I think, Look, one thing you can expect, and this is always the case, but you have to think it's going to be far more so this year. The offenses are going to look bad these first few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we, we go through this every year in the NFL. If we get, you know, six weeks into the year and it's all, what is the quality of play? It's dropped so much. And because you come off of watching the playoffs and the, the best teams, okay, and then there's the, the long stuff, but, uh, the long off season, but then, when you pick it up, I, nothing looks right. Nothing is smooth. It, it takes a long time for quarterbacks, receivers, offensive line, for everybody to gel and to get on the same page. And you know they don't get enough reps in the preseason. Now they've gotten no reps in the preseason. They're going against the same defense every day. You don't even have the practices against other teams. So I just think that 
you're going to see some ugly football. You're going to see some disjointed offenses, especially teams that have new coordinators that are learning new things, that have a new quarterback, that have a lot of new offensive linemen or maybe to some degree the skill position players. Now, all of that is going to be a big factor here, especially in the early going. And I think, you know, more than just week one and two, I think you're going to be looking through week six. Some offenses really have a hard time getting going. So, you know, there's some cheap things you could do. Yeah, look to those gadget plays. Look to the most athletic guy on your roster and throw him out. You know, like even a, a defensive player, like a Deion Sanders type, right? I mean, you got to be creative in terms of, you know, getting the ball downfield if you're one of these teams that, isn't going to have a fully functioning offense right off the bat. I think that's probably more than half the league can expect to walk in here and really have a lot of things working against them in the early going just because they have something new as part of their offense. Absolutely. And uh, one of the other things I think that we're looking at here, you touched on it with the lack of uh, the, the practices in the off season coming into training camp at least, uh, the players all, you know, we heard all these stories about all the workouts that everybody was doing, and a, a lot of us saw the videos on Twitter of things like uh, uh, Miles Garrett jumping about 10 feet up into the air. And so there were some individual cases where it's like, okay, you could tell that they're really on it. But uh, uh, my, my aforementioned uh, contributor, Chris Galloway, had said earlier, you know, I hate to say this, but I think you're going to be seeing a lot of soft tissue injuries and a lot of things like that. And you look at how it's played out subsequently here. Some of these injuries that have happened right before the season, some of the bad ones, Von Miller, some of these other cases here. So, you know, you look at him, and he's not anybody that uh, you would consider to be particularly injury-prone throughout the course of his career. But methinks if there are players that you have on your roster that have any any type of vulnerability, because we do know that for certain players, uh, the term injury-prone is a thing. Uh, I still have some PTSD flashbacks about Lawyer Tillman playing for the Browns. So, you know, there's that can be a real thing. And I would think particularly in a year like this, that might loom even a little bit larger than usual uh, if players are not able to go through their complete and total fitness regime heading into the season. We've seen it baseball. Yeah. In baseball, you've had tons of soft tissue injuries yes. and guys going down. It's not just the pitchers. That wouldn't really be much of a comparison, but the position players, you've seen a lot of this, and it's like half the Yankee roster has gone down at some right. point uh, with one of these injuries, so absolutely, you can expect that uh, to be a factor, and it's, it's another reason why you're going to want to make, I, I think, like six moves after week one, and if you are limited in how many waiver wire moves you can make, uh, you, you might better serve trying to be patient and even if you have some dead spots in your roster for a week or two let it phase out let everybody else waste all their moves and then late in the season playoffs you'll be the one who can still maneuver and and try to make some things happen because then you're going to have a whole other set of problems as we talked about earlier if the the virus becomes more of an issue uh, later on in the fall and uh, later in the season of playoff time and and you need to have your moves then so you know, patience might help you out a little bit, even as, you know, again, we're learning new things uh, over the first couple of weeks here where guys are in roles that you didn't expect, and you're going to have these soft tissue injuries as part of it, too. It's going it's to be chaotic. The whole thing's going to be uh, chaotic. But, you know, even if you're not happy with your draft, I'll say that right now, uh, there is going to be a lot of opportunity for you to still win your league and, and make some of these uh, you know, big moves. 
on here. There is going to be, and uh, again, I, I will say, you know, chaotic, uh, you put your finger on it, that's the best word that can be used uh, for what we're about to see here, because as I said before, we've never seen a football season like this, which obviously is going to dribble down to we've never seen a fantasy football season like this. So basically anything that we're saying within the confines of the 2020 season is, is everything has the proviso of all things being equal on this. The, the landscape as we see it now heading into the season and, and just in, in more of a conventional kind of point of view, uh, some of the notes that we have made previously with FantasyDraftHelp.com and looking at this is that uh, you know, to us there's always uh, a number of guys at every position that, that we feel are not subject to matchups on a given week. G generally anybody you spend a first or a second round pick on, maybe even a third, if you spend it wisely, uh, these are not the guys that would be subject to matchups. But at quarterback in particular, you're looking at a situation here where you've, you've got Jackson and Mahomes who really kind of ward above everybody else at the position here, and the depth of the position from there the number of guys that can be expected to go out and get 4,000-plus yards, potentially 40-plus touchdowns, it's a deep list of guys here. So I would say beyond the top two, uh, to me, quarterback looks like more of a matchup-type uh, position than in years past. Yeah, I would be looking at matchups and early on in the season. I would be looking for continuity as well. If yes. you have a quarterback that... Mahomes is that much more valuable now. I would say that he could walk in same offense, similar personnel, coaching staff. You don't have big changes there as part of things. Where um, you know maybe if you go a, a little bit further down, I'll bring up Sam Darnold for one. You know, he doesn't have weapons. There's a lot of problems with the Jets. They, they have a totally different offensive line that they have to put together. But at the very least, the offensive coordinator, the head coach. So that has remained the same. Most of the pieces around him have remained the same. So, you know, while Donald's not going to be a big fantasy contributor for you, and he's got the Bills in week one, which is difficult, uh, at least you can, I think, see an offense like that have more success than maybe is expected early on in the year, whereas, you know, some of these other situations, like everybody wants to jump on the box, right? Because you look at all the great weapons they have, a terrific offensive head coach, Bruce Arians, they have Tom Brady in a totally different environment. And while they did practice uh, and, and he was able to work out with teammates, you know, before uh, the teams were able to get together, like there's going to be an unfamiliarity. And as terrific as Tom Brady can be, he's in his, a new offense for the first time in 20-something years. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of change there, and you don't get the on-field reps to work on stuff. So I wouldn't feel great about Mike Evans or Chris Godwin not the way that people are jumping on this team, like the Bucks are just going to walk out and score 40 points week one the first time on the field together. I, I think that kind of expectation is, is just uh, you know too far beyond. I would agree with that, yeah. Continuity is going to loom very large, and as you say, particularly early in the season, uh, because, uh, again, coming in, uh, like I said, if you get to a point where you've learned your playbook early on, if the team can gel early on, then you could maybe have a little bit of an edge because you can be ahead of the other team in terms of them not being able to anticipate you. But as I said with the Browns, first you must grasp your new playbook. First you must all get on the same page. And uh, you, you can't really accomplish everything, really anything until that happens. Uh, it's a situation here, too, where 
uh, at running back and wide receiver, and this has really been the case, I think, the last couple of years, where uh, the depth at wide receiver at the top end is uh, more so than uh, what's there at running back, uh, it seems like. And uh, part of that is because, again, for the last 15 years or so, you, you've really sort of had the death of the bell cow uh, in the NFL as that role has sort of diversified as uh, number two running backs have become more and more prominent. And actually, the aforementioned Browns are the best example of that, where uh, Kareem Hunt in certain leagues might be worthy of being a starter uh, in certain types of formats here, uh, even though he's not technically a starter on the Browns. Uh, now, that's a rare situation where that would be the case. But at, at wide receiver, uh, and particularly with uh, what's happened the last couple of years, with some very good draft classes, Another very good one this year, headlined by Jerry Judy, even if he wasn't the first guy to go uh, overall at wide receiver. Uh, you, you've got a talent pool there where I would think more often than not, if you're looking at a flex position, unless you've drafted your roster in sort of an unusual type way, you might be prone to be able to take advantage of the depth at wide receiver. I'd love to say this, though. I wouldn't touch a rookie receiver this year, and I know It'd be tough. a lot of people already did their drafts, but that is one of the toughest positions to come in and have success as a rookie, right? I mean, there are guys that have done it. You can point to Randy Moss, Odell Beckham Jr.'s first year with the Giants, but there are not a lot of receivers that walk into the league and become 1,000-yard guys. And then, again, like everything else, you're not getting the reps you're getting in the past. You didn't get a preseason game to kind of get the jitters out a little bit, like, okay, I'm up against NFL players, this is the speed of the game, this is what I have to be accustomed to. You don't get any of that, and you're just being thrust in. So I think it's going to be a tough year uh, for those rookie receivers, regardless of talent, just because of the circumstances. But running backs, those guys, they plug and play. I, I mean, that just seems to me, uh, you know, rookie running backs walk in, it's an instinctual position. You know how to break tackles and you know, the runs for all that different from what you did in college typically. Uh, so, you know, that's what you have, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards Teller, first round pick, and nobody's really sweating what he's going to be able to do in this Chiefs offense, even if you haven't seen a whole lot of them in a Chiefs uniform to this point. But, uh, those rookie receivers, I, I mean, I think it's going to be very tough on them. Hey, just talking big, if you want to target others, I think rookie cornerbacks. If you pick on a rookie cornerback somewhere, I would jump all over that if you have that kind of matchup and, you know, can see that your receiver is going to be lined up with someone like that. Because again, it's really tough uh, on the, uh, you know, the outer edges to, you get burned when you, when you mess it up, when you lose a step. And, uh, we, we've seen it throughout the years. Again, not a lot of players coming in, receiver, cornerback, and have big time success comes back. The one thing that was posited to me by one of our FBH Lounge dignitaries, Ben Chu, this is an interesting theory, is that rookie wide receivers, the one thing they won't have to deal with this year is hostile crowds, that the NFL game day experience, it might be a little bit eerie, it might be a little bit spooky with how quiet it's going to be, but at least the atmospherics of it uh, won't be a little bit, it, 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 it won't be, if it was something that could have potentially rattled you, it won't be there. Uh, although, then again, it might seem a little bit eerie, uh, the fact that uh, it's going to be quieter than that. There will be tiny crowds in some places where there are crowds, but it's not going to be like 80,000 people screaming in your helmet. So I wonder to what degree on that. It's an interesting point, and uh, we're going to have to wait to see how it plays out. Do you have any thoughts on that one way or another? Well, gambling is going to be interesting, right? Like It's usually about a three-point penalty for being 
the road team in a game, at least Vegas, and then uh, that has kind of dwindled as the years have gone on because you get more of a wine and cheese kind of crowd at a lot of these NFL games, especially in the seats closest to the field. And so I now you're not going to have any fans in some stadiums, and as you mentioned, extremely limited in others. I have to think that you know, it's not going to be that much of a penalty for being the road NFL team uh, with the way that you know this kind of thing shakes out. And so you know, if you're going to penalize your running back, let's say, because he's on the road against a tough opponent, and you're thinking, hey, they'll be playing from behind the whole time, I don't want to play him, I wouldn't really have that thought process right now. I would be very comfortable and just take the best run back. Don't worry about, you know, home road and, and that kind of thing. I know there's a factor into every decision that you're making on the fantasy roster. It could certainly be one of those uh, tiebreakers when you're flipping the coin on Sunday at 1230 trying to figure out which guy you're going to put in your flex position. Uh, but I, I would not be factoring in home road uh, a whole lot at all. I mean, the only disadvantage going on the road is that you have to actually go on a plane the day before or two days before. But uh, besides that, there's, there's really not going to be any difference. I mean, you shouldn't be seeing false starts from road teams, right? I mean, yeah. they better have the snap count and whatever they want to have sex. It is embarrassing yourself if you can be in a quiet, empty stadium and you're going false start uh, a couple of times in a row to begin a drive. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we kind of just see exactly how it plays out, what the difference will be. But I, I got to think, you know, there's just not going to be much difference between being home and home. You know, it's very unusual for anybody to consider any aspect of our present situation a plus. But if there's one guy out there that's bemoaning that we didn't have coronavirus last year, it's probably Freddie Kitchens because he's gone. How, how many less penalties would we have had? I could have gotten away with having an undisciplined team if there wasn't for the crowds last year. So, yeah, that's an interesting point that you make there because I watched what was probably the most undisciplined team in the league last year. So, yeah, the, the undisciplined teams are going to benefit probably a little bit unfairly from this because they may not have as many crowd-induced mistakes. You won't have your home crowd bowing yet, you know. Well, that's true. Be, uh, that too. <laughs> for some of these teams uh, that are struggling in the second quarter of their first game, and uh, you know, it's not an uncommon sound at their uh, home stadiums. That you know, it'll be a little more positive, perhaps, uh, for, for some of those situations. That's true. That's true. And uh, one of the interesting things to me as well here, uh, one one of the more underrated aspects, I think, of this season from a fantasy perspective is that uh, folks who drafted uh, and got good depth at uh, tight end, uh, if they went three or potentially four deep, there's a lot of guys out there that if you take a flyer on, really, really have an upside, uh, whether it be the Iowa guys, uh, Fanton Hawkinson, if you're looking for more from them at this phase of their career. Rob Gronkowski is actually in that whole flyer pool based on taking a year off. You kind of don't know what you're going to get uh, from him. Austin Hooper. A little bit of an upgrade going to a tight end uh, heavy offense like Kevin Stefanski likes to run. Uh, right down to Hayden Hurst, Evan Engram. There's there's a number of such names out there. Obviously, everybody's keying on Kelsey and Kittle and to whatever extent Ertz, Andrews, maybe Waller. But if you get shut out there, uh, the prospect of hitting on one, maybe two of these guys here who, who really could kind of burst out this year uh, that's something that could really help teams if they're really, especially if they're on the playoff bubble in their leagues. Yeah, well, I, I, you mentioned Waller. I think that he's one of those guys that you know does check some of those boxes. Where all right, you have the same head coach in place, you have the same quarterback in place, you have uh, someone who was coming into his own over the course of last year. Uh, so if you you didn't get one of the big two, and 
uh, Kittle or uh, Kelsey, you know, maybe you landed him. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, the tight end position, like a lot of others, you're going to see it kind of bob and weave uh, along the way. I was looking at Cincinnati, too. I mean, often uh, rookie quarterbacks, they fall in love with their tight end. It's an easy target to, you know, check down to. So, you know, that could be a situation you check out and, and how exactly it's going to develop with Joe Burrow uh, there in Cincinnati. But, um, yeah, I, I just think uh, it's, it's going to be chaotic, no matter what the position is, once you start getting past the the bona fide. Oh, absolutely. And in looking at that there, and uh, interesting that you mentioned him because uh, from having gone to the good old Harvard on the Hocking, Ohio University here, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy. Uh, I love the 7-4-0 like he does. And uh, so notwithstanding the fact that I'm a Browns fan, I'll root for uh, Joe Burrow anytime he's not playing the Browns. But that's an interesting situation because we were talking when we did our, our preseason uh, segments here. Uh, well, just looking at the NFL in a general kind of football sense, is a team like the Bengals, and like you said, a rookie quarterback, so it's hard to expect a whole lot. But if you look at the skill positions, one of the things that struck me here, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, and I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, Paul Brown having founded the franchise when you look at the color scheme similarities between the Bengals and the Browns. But it almost seems ironic because, to me, it's a slightly poor man's version of what the Browns have at the skill positions here, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, the Bengals, to me, don't quite match up, but few teams in the league really would so that what the Browns have as far as a collection there. But you start looking at Mixon and Green and Boyd and everybody that they've got there, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not too many steps slotted behind where I'd have the Browns crew, and uh, that, to me that's an incredible compliment. And we'll see how much Joe Burrow misses uh, Joe Brady and, and what – yeah, uh, really got LSU going and, and humming offensively because Carolina's betting that it was uh, as much the offensive coordinator as much as it was the quarterback. So, you know, Carolina will be another interesting situation. And look, at there's that team that's kind of the warning sign, right? New head coach, offensive coordinator, new quarterback in there. Uh, the one constant you have is a great one at Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, that would be one of those situations we're maybe a little nervous about with, uh, you know, having the limited time here. But obviously in, in Cincinnati, Bengals would love to see Burrow get off to a good start. And that's got a big arm. You saw in college, he's accurate down the field. Uh, you're going to have to hit some tighter windows in the NFL. But he does have some guys that can fly uh, out wide. So you would think, you know, if that offensive line give him a little bit of time, Burrow will have uh, some opportunities for at least some big plays, even if it's not consistent all the way through as you might expect for a rookie. Absolutely, and in a very, very deep sleeper sense, you'd be looking at John Ross on that roster as well. Uh, he's been a disappointment to this point in his career from a fantasy perspective, but never count out a guy with his raw skills. Having said that, the clock's ticking on him, so it, it might be now or never as far as him taking another step up. But uh, just looking around the league here uh, in a general sense, uh, any other kind of thoughts from you as far as uh, this season, things to expect, things the owners should, should prepare for? Uh, you know, I, I just think you're going to have to be flexible. Like, don't get married into some kind of strategy. Don't uh, think now and say, okay, well, this is going to be how I plan out this year. Like, even though I'm saying be patient early, like, you better be flexible because things are going to change quickly. And you're going to have to adjust, and then they're going to change again in mid-season and weekend uh, when you start thinking about the playoffs and how you want to set up your team then. So, you know, I, I think you probably want to be careful falling in love and having, you know, a really starts and does kind of roster and does kind of roster where you're so dependent 
two players because, you know, guys are going to get knocked out. I just think that's going to be a big part of this season. So you better have uh, some backup plans or I think a deep team. Uh, I think that's kind of the way to go. And, uh, you know, really pay attention to, you know, what the transaction limits in your league are, uh, what your FAB budget is, and, and how you want to go about that uh, if that's part of your league. Because, look, these leagues are are often won or lost at the draft. It's not going to be the case this year. It's going to be won or lost with what you do from week one beyond, how you use the waiver wire. You're going to have starting players that, you know, weren't even on these draft lists uh, coming into the season by, like, week 10 or week 12. I, I just think that's going to be a big part of it. So, you know, take in what you watch early on this year and, uh, you know, both be versatile and move around and, I had some different strategies over the course of the year because, okay, like every, we're all trying to guess what this league might look like, and you don't really know, we don't know until it starts to unfold. Absolutely. No knowns and unknown unknowns and all of that, as we said. And uh, one of the things, too, when, you, when you're looking at real deep sleepers, and if I, by the way, this is not somebody that I'm as high on as a lot of people are. I'm hearing a lot of smart marks out there that, Love Case Keenum this year because they, they seem certain that Baker Mayfield's going to be benched. I think that uh, is a gigantic leap to be making at this point in time before they've even taken the field. But having said that, somebody who is familiar with the Kevin Stefanski playbook. So if you're looking at that, given that you might see quarterbacks going down, uh, hopefully not from COVID or anything really uh, severe, but uh, the quarterbacks go down every day for other purposes as well. So if you're looking at guys who have maybe more of a familiarity with the playbook, those might be guys that when something happens, you're really going to want to jump on them because it's not going to be in a year where the league is plagued with familiarity issues, those guys at least should be largely immune from that. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. If you have a backup quarterback, and, and like you said in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield goes down, you better have a, a quarterback with experience and a quarterback that has some knowledge of the system walking in, otherwise, even if it's a bigger name, uh, would not be, you know, really uh, considering anyone else uh, along those lines. Right, and uh, just one of the unique things in a unique season, and uh, yeah, God willing, in 2021, uh, everything will be uh, back to normal for football uh, as a society, or, or at least significantly closer than we are today, and fortunately, I think there's plenty of room to hope that that could be the case uh, based on how things are, are going. A lot of uh, rough ground between here and there, but by this time next year, hopefully things are more like they were heading into the 2019 season, not just in football but in society. We will all hope. But uh, certainly, Pete McCarthy, a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, of course, great coverage from you at SiriusXM and WFAN. Look forward to catching up with you on Fantasy Sports on the show subsequently. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Yeah, it was great, Rick. Really enjoyed it. And look, we all got to uh, trudge through this uh, year 2020, and we might as well end up with some fantasy trophies at the end of it, right? Something, some kind of saving grace. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> aiming for uh, in my own right here, as we all are. We have this to look forward to. The season's getting underway. Appreciate you helping us kick it off. Thank you very much, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge, mini-episode 1275.